so they would be anointed with power, with boldness. With eyes that would see what you are doing in the places they go. So they could join in. Lord, we pray you would send us out with boldness and with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Jenny up to speak. So I'll just pray for her before we start. So, um, yes, we've got... This is the penultimate sermon on Job. And then we've got one final one in two weeks' time where we finish the book of Job. So, um, yes. Any more to say? I don't think so. I'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jenny. We thank you um, for the time and effort and um, listening to you that she's put in as she's prepared this word for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to bring life to every word. Lord, unstop our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts, that we would receive the word that you are speaking to us today. We pray for anointing upon Jenny, and peace, that the living water would flow out of her to us that, Lord, you would edify us, encourage us, challenge us through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it's so lovely to see you. I can't believe it's been three years. That's like, It just feels like it's just a, a few months ago, and, and you're still very much on my heart, and I can't believe that it's been three months. And what three years and what a three years it's been. I left this church with great excitement about my new role and then the pandemic started and among many other questions for God was what's happening? What have I done coming to this? This isn't the job that I thought I was coming to. Where are you? And I'm sure those kind of questions are things that we've all been asking God in different ways over these last few years for, for different reasons. Um, I, I, I must add that I'm still excited to be in that new role, but I still think of it as a new job because um, I only left the old one a few weeks ago, surely. Um, I went online to find out some questions that children have uh, for God, um, and I found some quite um, cute but profound ones um, that I quite liked. Um, why did God make mosquitoes? Um, all they do is bite you. Why would he do that? Um, my grandpa says, God, you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? Um, did you mean for a giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? Um, and uh, this probably is quite a heartfelt one. If Jesus doesn't have a sister, why do I need to have one? <laughs> but there's clearly lots of big questions that we, we want to ask. Some of those are, are big ones. Um, but one of the most common questions that God gets asked... <laughs> Um, is about this subject of suffering. And it might be, how can a good God allow suffering? What about that situation? That doesn't match up with what I know of God. Why me? Why them? Now, um, it can be very interesting when 
um, a question is being asked and the person doesn't answer it directly. Uh, when we watch Question Time or we watch someone, a political figure perhaps, being asked questions and uh, you know that they're trying to turn things around so they can say the thing they want to say. And it's quite fun sometimes watching the interviewer trying to get the answer out of them, but it's also frustrating. Uh, why can't they give a straight answer? This is important. Well, we've been focusing um, on Job for a few weeks, um, but just as a recap, this book is often held up as the place to go in the Bible when we have questions about suffering. We see a righteous man who has gone from riches to rags, and we readers have some idea of the heavenly council that's gone on between Satan and God, where they've agreed on this test to see if this righteous man will continue to worship God without the incentive of good um, surroundings, prosperity. But Job doesn't know this. And so the book unfolds with cycles of complaint and from Job and protesting his innocence and then his friends who come alongside with their own theories about the suffering and why it's happening, namely that he's a sinner and God is punishing him. Well, now we get to hear God's response to Job. Having let these arguments swirl around for 36 chapters, which is quite a big proportion of the Bible, actually. <laughs> and as we read it, we might be tempted to ask, God, why can't you give a straight answer? Well, we're going to look at what he says. And in, in, a, in a moment, we will um, be hearing um, his words. Um, but first of all, um, oh, I've got to multitask. Yes. It helps to ask what question Job is asking. I think he is asking, why is this happening to me? No doubt he wants his suffering to end. But a louder cry of his seems to be a desire for justification. The more his friends assert that he deserves this punishment, the more he needs to assert his innocence. And in the face of attacks from his wife, his friends, and apparently from God, he's longing for a mediator and for his innocence to be recorded and vindicated. We get to the point where he actively blames God who seems to be deliberately attacking him. Since he, Job, is innocent, it must be that God is in the wrong. And so Job demands that he give an answer. Does he get that straight answer from God? Well, I think we will come to see, as he does, that he does get exactly what he's asking for, but not in the way he's expecting it. And there's a much more important lesson to be gained on the way. So we're going to look first at brief in God's response and then hear the whole thing and zoom in to see what's actually happening. God begins by saying, speaking out of a storm, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself. I will question you and you shall answer me. God's had enough questions coming to him. Now it's time to turn it around. 
And God does this by taking Job on this tour of the cosmos where he points out various aspects of his creation. He lets Job see them from his perspective and he asks Job, can you do this? Were you around when this happened? Do you have the power or the authority for that? Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Well, at the end of chapter 38, Job is left in no doubt as to his place before God. He is suitably and rightly humbled and says, I am unworthy. How can I reply? I will say no more. Now, oh, it's still working. It's great. <laughs> We're not covering it today, but in chapters 40 and 41, no, yeah, 40 and 41, um, we have a second speech from God which highlights his power further. And Job is ultimately led to repentance as he acknowledges that he had previously heard of God, but now he has seen him and he has no more charge to bring. Now, it does seem that in a nutshell, the answer to Job's questions about his suffering is, as John Piper would say, is it up there? Yeah. I am almighty God, acknowledge that my might is right, no matter what I do. And I spent quite a bit of time sort of trying to figure this out. The answer is that deep, and that's simple, and there's, there's nothing more to be said. And for Job, it is indeed enough. But does that feel like a straight answer? If we're struggling and with our suffering, does it really satisfy us? John Piper goes on to say, surely that can't be all. Otherwise, it seems God just shows up, flexes his muscles, puts Job in his place for whining, since God is God, and that's the end of it. That kind of doesn't feel like the God that I know and the one that we've just been worshipping. Let's look a little more closely at what God, Job actually gets from God. Well, I think, first of all, he gets the dignity of a response. God really doesn't have to answer Job at all. Job has charged him with some pretty awful things. And we've, we see elsewhere in scripture that people get struck down for what seems to be lesser offenses than that. And I'm trying to think of other parts of scripture where one person gets an address like this from God. We do have long speeches elsewhere that say similar things about God's greatness, but I think generally they're addressed at a nation, his people collectively. Job gets the privilege of this individual response. So the fact that God is speaking at all is a big deal. And the words themselves need to be heeded. Now, when a human being is describing themselves, we can, we can kind of believe that there might be a bit of kind of like bigging ourselves up, um, you know, just to prove that I'm okay, and, um, or putting myself down, some false modesty, um, but not so with God. He has no need to defend himself, to puff himself up or pull others down by comparison. 
And so when we hear his words about himself, we can really trust them to show us who he is. So we get, Job gets God's response and he gets this unique revelation of himself. And I think this is ultimately the answer for Job and also for those with questions about suffering today. Now, when sometimes when you watch an interview, um, or someone, I've, I've had it sometimes, when someone's interviewed me and I'm kind of thinking, that's not quite the right question. I need to say this, but you're asking me that. And in a sense, there is a better question that Job could ask about his suffering. And it's the title of my talk. To whom can I turn? That's something that God can and does answer directly. Now, we were going to watch a video, but instead we have the even better treat of um, Dennis providing the words of God. And he's going, to, he's going to read from chapter 38 and 39. I will put them up on the screen, but you might want to, you might want to watch Dennis, or you might want to close your eyes and just imagine, not because it's Dennis, <laughs> You, you, might, you might want to close your eyes and just try and picture, if you can, some of these things. But be aware that God, if God gave a full description of it himself, there wouldn't be time for us to hear it. And Job and we wouldn't be able to take in the words anyway. So this is a limited expression of what um, God is saying about himself. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in places when I said, this far you may come, and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning, or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal, its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? 
Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which are reserved for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabitable desert? To satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourselves with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom? or gives the cockerel understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven? when it's young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her form? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labors are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not have a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? 
Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Wait, will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy workload to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labour was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength or close its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, streaking terror with its proud snorting? It pours fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with a flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts. Aha! It catches the scent of battle from afar the shout of commanders, and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood. And where the slain are, there it is. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Who has Job turned to? He turns to the one, first of all, who lets him speak. It's quite incredible that this great and mighty God listens to his people. It's been a really helpful thing through lockdown to look at some psalms of lament and see about how God encourages his people to speak out their complaint, ask their questions, boldly ask for God's action before finally saying, choosing to trust. And it seems that God really values our expression of pain. Why else would he have allowed so many psalms that do this? And why else would the book of Job be so long? The cries of Job and the attempts of him and his friends to um, find answers do matter to God and he allows us, the readers, to journey through it with them because the process has such value. 
Job can turn to the one who has power. And we've seen this. And in a sense, I, I don't really need to add to it, but we just see the way that God is so in control of the big and the, the tiniest of details. Um, oh, yes, reread it and think to yourselves just what it shows you of, of who God is. Um, but crucially, it says he's one who has power over evil and will not allow it to be extended beyond the limits he's given it. And also we see how God is at work in places where there are no humans visible, no humans to see what he's doing. And I think that's helpful for us to remember that we are not actually the centre of God's universe. And we get to see God at work in those parts of the universe that are visible but utterly unreachable to us. Job gets to see the one who cares. And in what we've just heard, we've heard this detailed description of selected animals um, and their life cycle, gestation, birth, maternal care, growth, their habitats. And it's kind of like a cosmic David Attenborough program with God doing the voiceover. Um, <laughs> but demonstrating just, oh, you can just hear some of the pride and the affection he feels as he looks and the humour um, as he uh, looks at it, um, this creation has such value because he made it. Job also turns to the one who is other. And I've, this is one of the things I feel find the hardest to connect with, God's remoteness or his transcendence. Now, I think I'd prefer to think of Job sitting with his head on God's lap, God's like stroking his hair and kind of saying, um, telling him it'll be all right. You've been through a lot, Job. Uh, hang in there. You can trust me. It's all going to be okay. And I want to, to focus on God's tenderness and compassion. Um, in Psalm 139, the fact that I'm known to him, um, I want to see God as the one who provides rest and refreshment like he does for Elijah. Um, or the way that, that Jesus notices the needs of his mother Mary when he's on the cross. That's the God that I kind of find that I want to go to um, in times of trouble. But that's not who God chooses to reveal here. Uh, these are really important parts of God's character and his dealings with us as a father, as a mother, as a bridegroom, as a healer. And we shouldn't forget those but they're not all there is to know about God. And we don't do full justice to God, I think, if we just major on him as a personal God, if we start with things that we can relate to and then try to extrapolate outwards. So it's worth remembering, um, I'm just going to cut something out, but it's worth remembering that God doesn't refer really to humans in this description of his greatness. So let's have a right sense of, of where we are and um, how we fit in to the way he sees creation. This is a book that I'd really like to get hold of. 
Um, it's got photos from the Hubble telescope and words of devotion written by its chief operating officer, Kevin Hartnett, and he grapples with what understanding God's greatness looks like. And this is just amazing. Through his own gracious revelation of himself, we can understand God in part, but we can never fully comprehend him or even a single one of his qualities. There will always be more of his wisdom to understand, more of his power, more of his holiness, more of his love. We will never fathom him and we will never tire of him. Through all eternity, we will look upon him and marvel at the endlessly creative, wonderfully gracious, uniquely righteous, timelessly beautiful, unsearchably glorious, infinitely loving maker and ruler of all. Well, if you think of what day job this guy has, (laughs) um, and he's struggling to express how great God is. Um, And this is the one for us to turn to. Just quickly, what else does Job get from God? Now, um, I love working with students and young adults, and um, I never quite know what they're going to share. Um, And sometimes there's a situation that they'll describe that feels like a complete disaster to them right now. And and it may well be that in human terms, it is. Um, And I know that feeling very well myself, but I've maybe been walking a little bit longer with God, and so I've seen how he's been able to redeem situations um, and provided in miraculous ways. Um, Or he hasn't changed the situation, but he's got me through anyway. So I often find myself saying to them and reminding myself, you're not seeing the whole picture right now. Well, that's very true of Job. What he's experiencing right now isn't the whole picture, but once it's seen, the picture will be glorious. So he does get um, a glimpse of a redeemer um, who will stand on the earth. He also gets a glimpse of victory. In the next chapter, God's going to talk about Leviathan being very much under his control. And I may have this wrong, but as I understand it, and certainly some commentators say, Leviathan is seen as as a depiction of God's enemy. But in, in chapter 40 and 41, Leviathan is very definitely under God's control. So Job has a glimpse of God's ultimate victory over his enemy. We also see that Job is going to get vindicated because in the last chapter, God makes it clear that his rebuke is to Job's friends, not Job. And he gets Job, the righteous one, to make sacrifices and pray for his friends. So although Job needs to be humbled, his righteousness hasn't been in question before God. But God's going to acknowledge this publicly in chapter 43. And Job's greatest cry will be answered. And then finally, there's a reward. And this doesn't come as a result of Job's repentance, repentance, but it is a demonstration of God's generosity. But for now, the answer to Job's questions is God himself 
and God alone. And for Job, that is enough. Well, how about our experience of this? Hopefully it's been clear that what Job has been learning are things for us to learn too. We know what it's like to live in a world where there is suffering. Um, Suffering that we can explain and also suffering that we can't. And if we're hoping, if we were hoping this morning to get a straight answer from God about why this happens, then I'm sorry, that that wasn't going to happen and it won't happen when we read Job. But that alternative question is answered, I think, here. To whom can we turn? Now, we're in a very real struggle, like um, Job was. But hallelujah, our experience is so much more than Job's because we know the Redeemer. We don't just have an inkling of him, but we've seen him. His life lived and laid down and then resurrected. And we have the Holy Spirit, his powerful presence to aid us in our own fights and struggles. And in the meantime, there's a very special gift to us in our suffering. And I think John spoke about this wonderfully a few weeks ago, about the fact that God is with us in our suffering. He's there. So we have the empathy and the companionship of our saviour who himself suffered. Just like Job, surrounded by three friends who were completely hopeless. Jesus, too, in the Garden of Gethsemane, surrounded by three friends, hopeless, feeling like God has forsaken him. But because Jesus has plumbed that depth of human sorrow, he also can walk with human beings in our sorrow And for this reason, none of us, no sufferer now, need ever be completely alone. So, how are we to respond? I'm aware that some of us maybe aren't grappling with some of this. Maybe we don't even know God, or we're new to him, and we're thinking, I'm not sure about what you're saying. What I want to encourage you with is... He really is worth it. Keep asking those questions and keep seeking him. Some of us... um, Yeah, sorry, I'm just abridging slightly. Um, Some of us are very much going through this place of questioning because of the very real suffering that we're going through or others around us. And we're needing perhaps to learn to put our theology, our understanding of God, into practice in new and painful ways. We might be having to exercise our faith in, on a daily basis. So what is our response? Well, very simply, first of all, I think it is to turn to him, to acknowledge what's happening. He's not put off by our complaints and questions. I often think it's better to be angry to God than about God, express um, those questions. But be wary of other places we could go. We could go turn inward, become bitter and depressed, or get into endless philosophizing that doesn't go anywhere. 
We could go to others, the wrong people, to get the wrong advice or a worldly insight into what we're entitled to um, and draw wrong conclusions from God about that. Or maybe we might be tempted to escape into all sorts of ways that we could be, become um, ensnared in addictions and so on. And we need to recognize that these things are not the answer. So if you can see that this is happening, can I encourage you to talk to a trusted Christian friend or uh, today to open up and ask to pray together to ask for God's freedom in this? Then we need to get to know the one we are turning to, his ways, his wisdom, the whole of him, and not just the parts that we're naturally drawn to. And we've spent quite a bit of time on that this morning, and let's keep doing it. <laughs> let's keep using scripture, really, really meditating on it and letting it dwell richly in us. Prayer, praise, getting out into this amazing creation and, and meditating on it. And sometimes God will show us things readily, but sometimes we'll need to be willing to pursue him, to persevere. And it may be that the longer, um, the longer we walk with him, the more we have to draw on to remind ourselves, but also we can get, we can get weary, can't we? So we need to encourage one another and be learning and listening uh, to one another. And then finally, we need to trust and remember that we don't see the whole picture yet. Yeah, I just found a quote, but I'm not sure where it's from, so I'm just going to read it, but I like it. As we suffer, and as we sit with others who suffer, we may with absolute confidence bow down to the sovereign God, knowing that the evil that comes may be terrible, but it cannot and will not ever go one tiny fraction beyond the leash on which God has put it, and it will not go on forever. For the one to whom we belong is God. So it, it may be that we don't feel necessarily that we've had um, a logical answer, but actually God has given us an answer to our questions. The answer is himself. So as we reach the end of this talk, I feel that there's a call from God for us. I am your God. Turn to me. Turn your eyes, your ears, your mind, your voice, your heart to me. And I feel that the final response we can make as we turn to him is worship. So... To close, here's Paul's words from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.
Almighty God, we are, we are awestruck as we think of um, the immenseness of you. Lord, we thank you that though you are just this um, kind of mind-blowing God, that Lord, you do consider us the work of your hands. And that Lord, you has given us even the very breath in our lungs. Lord, we pray that when we go through hard times, we would remember to turn to you. That we wouldn't, as Jenny said, moan about you to others. Lord, we would turn to you. For you are the source of everything. You are the source of our very lives. Lord, I pray that if anyone here is struggling, that they would reach out to, the, to you and you would meet them where they are. We thank you that you've promised that you would send rivers of living water on the dry and dusty land. So I pray for those who are feeling dry and dusty today, Lord, that you would pour out that life-giving water on them. Lord, as we leave this place, we pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on you. that nothing of the world would tear our gaze away from you. Lord, we are yours and we worship you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jenny. There was so much in there. Um, think about that. Go back and read those chapters, um, inspiring chapters. So do stay and have coffee and fellowship one another. Obviously, um, not here next Sunday, but back in two Sundays times, but next Sunday evening, St. James's Church at six o'clock if you'd like to come to pause. Lovely to see you all. Thank you, worship band. That was lovely. <laughs>